Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at inflation. Has it peaked or is there more to come? Such an important thing, it's a dry area to consider, but it has a massive impact on your overall investment portfolio. Which kind of stocks are going to outperform? Which ones are going to underperform? You're going to see exactly where to place your money as we go through the show. See you on the other side. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. And to jump into today's topic, I'm going to talk about something that was in your past, yet it's probably in my future, and that is the whole notion of peaking, yet we're going to apply this to <laughs> inflation. The question, I know, great segue, that's one of my better ones, has inflation peaked? We're seeing CPI data out of the US more recently that could indicate that. However, when you actually look at it from a bigger picture, it's not necessarily the case potentially. That's right. And I guess in short, my answer would be no, inflation hasn't peaked. There's more pain and misery on its way. Much as I hate to be the prophet of bad news, uh, the reality is no, we're a long way from peak inflation. Um, and. I guess, yeah, where does the notion that inflation has peaked come from? Yeah, the central banks are all talking about, well, we've you know, moved on interest rates. You have to remember that if we talk about central banks in the form of both the RBA and, of course, the Fed in the US, neither of them have covered themselves in glory. Uh, if we speak locally to the RBA, uh, number one was the extraordinarily negligent mispromise of no interest rate rises until 2024 by Dr. Philip Lowe. Unbelievably silly promise to make, and it's wreaking uh, havoc for a lot of households face higher mortgages. Uh, and number two is the fact that the decision making that's being undertaken by the RBA is out of touch. There's more often a miss than a hit. If you look at their recent track record, which bodes the question, who's actually making the decision and what's the basis for it? It's crazy as we're just about to head into an election in mm. a couple of weeks time too. So oh, there's no politics at the central bank. It's totally independent. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so AB, in terms of where we are currently, I think no, central banks are, mm. are, are doing the right thing. Rates have gone up. But if we just have a look now at some of the data, which we've seen in the most recent report from the US. So mm. CPI, the headline inflation figure in at 8.3% annualized. The previous one was eight and a half. So it is slightly lower, yet we're still at a 40 year high. Mm. What are your thoughts and where is it coming from? Look, CPI is the headline number that everyone uses as their, their proxy for inflation, and it's understandable. Your consumer activity makes up about 60% of the US economy. Is it the best measure of inflation? I'm not sure. It's the one we're going to, for sure. Um, as an economist, I guess, I also look a little bit more broadly than that. And PPI is probably, which is the producer price index, is probably uh, a better leading indicator because CPI does, does lag considerably. And if we look at producer price inflation, that's sitting north of 11%. I think it's 11.2%. Uh, for, for the same yeah, and these are extraordinarily high levels, and and that PPI, that producer price index, is is something that will ultimately get passed on uh, to the consumer. I'm sure we'll talk about company margins as we go on through. But to me, when you see a PPI number like that, as you say, highest on record, uh, we are not at peak inflation right now. Okay, so just to dive into CPI a little more um, in more depth. We take a look at some of the aspects in that. Vegetable prices, for example, are up 82%. Mm. Meat and fish, 23%. Gasoline prices, 60%. Mm. These are all pretty astounding figures when you look at them just a month on month. They are, and I mean, you can add to that, like if you take oil, oil, oil you know, heating oil is 108%. I mean, it's, it's, it, these are big, big numbers, and these are all the essentials, if you will, that, that people consume. Um, if you look at the cost of shelter, uh, which thus far hasn't really jumped that much, certainly in the US, um, all the, uh, or at least a couple of the economic reports that I, I tend to 
cast my eye over and have a bit of respect for, uh, they're talking about quite a significant lag factor and a jump up in shelter and accommodation costs, you know, seven, eight percent uh, being what they're expecting to see over the next quarter or so. And that too has a knock on uh, to the household budget, uh, stretching it beyond what it can be stretched to. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real problem, but it's not it's not fully there yet. If we think about food prices, um, there are two, two factors, I suppose, that we can look at like any price discovery. There's supply and then there's demand. On the supply side, and I don't think this is truly uh, been factored in yet, if we take grains and particularly wheat, you know, the Ukraine and Russia are two major wheat exporters. And whilst prices have moved higher, um, the plant hasn't necessarily happened in the way that it needs to, to produce a, a substantial yield of wheat into the food supply chain. Uh, but there is a lag factor, of course, before that comes through. So in four or five months time, when perhaps you'd ordinarily be harvesting your wheat and there's literally nothing in the paddock, the direct and marked impact that that will have on foodstuffs will be extraordinary. And and wheat, unlike corn, corn isn't really used in the human f- supply, food supply chain uh, directly. You think most corn goes into ethanol production for biofuel for vehicles, and secondly goes into animal feedlots for for manufacturing. If you can, can't really call it farming, manufacturing beef uh, in a in a in a in a uh, feedlot scenario. Uh, whereas wheat is much more orientated around the human uh, consumption side, for obviously for pasta, for bread, things like that. Uh, so I think we're in for a really big shock with just something as simple as that one underlying commodity and what that tends to do to food prices. That's just one example. It's crazy when you think about how much more we're paying for things that we were a year ago. Mm. It's just ludicrous. And just to, I guess, dive into a little bit more in regards to central banks, AB, so far what we've seen, the Federal Reserve, Mm. uh, they've had two policy meetings, 50 basis points in 25, so they've already started to move. And then here in in Australia, the RBA, 25 basis points, Mm. which was probably more than what we expected. Do you think the Fed has done their job thus far in curbing it to this extent and what do you think they're going to need to do moving forwards from here to make sure it stays under control? I think the the chemical in the brain is called neuroephrinephrine. It's a it's a, an anticipatory chemical, and um, if you think about what the Fed has done, there's an anticipation of raising rates, and they followed through and done it. So that sort of rattling of the saber uh, as an attempt to manage and control markets has been carried out. Has it been 100% effective? No, uh, simply because there are other factors. It's not just one form of inflation. We're looking at both supply and demand uh, in this equation. So I think they've got much more ahead of them, and because uh, perhaps they were later getting to the game, uh, you know, probably maybe four, maybe five months late getting to the game. Um, trying to reel something in once once the genie's out of the bottle, so to speak, is quite hard. So I think there's, there's, there's a fair bit more coming. I think you're going to see hard and fast rate rises there. Um, you know, another uh, similar move and then probably another two or three before the end of the year. And I can see rates in the US you know, tapping out at like early twos, 2.2, 2.3% would be my guesstimate. What about here in Australia? What's our target rate, do you think? Well, th- there's no target rate as such because we didn't have any inflation and they weren't going to move interest rates, if you recall. <laughs> but I, I think realistically, uh, we might see a figure beginning with a three here just simply because not not so much the the inflation number has got out of hand, but the factors driving it here are a little different. Um, yeah, there's no question about it. The property market needs um, needs to be eased off uh, and, and, and probably needs some air taken out of it. And I suspect that you won't need a lot of a move on interest rates in order to do that. But again, there's a lag effect. Um, there's so much money and wealth that's been created uh, through 
the property market, the stock market over that period of time, then um, you know, th- there will be a lag before that higher rate really starts to bite. And unfortunately, the people that bites aren't necessarily the cause of the inflation. You know, someone that's brand new to the market, someone that's a first home buyer is going to be wearing last in, first lot of pain uh, versus someone that's been an investor and they're maybe they've piled into four or five new properties over the last five years are less likely to feel that pain uh, because they've got the ability to pass on that pain through, uh, through higher rent um, uh, which, you know, as a first home buyer, you don't get the luxury of doing that. If it's your primary place of residence, you just got to suck it up and pay. Uh, so, you know, there's a slightly different scenario there. Uh, and I guess our RBA will have to tread carefully uh, so as not to, uh, so as not to really kick the, kick the platform out from under the property market too much, but their job's not to manage the property market, it's to manage inflation. Absolutely. No doubt our listeners will want to weigh in on this. So if you're listening to this, any of our, any of our, our sort of our, our loyals, Comment below in the comment section where you think central banks will end up. I'd love to see what most people think. Well, we can get a consensus then and see see if we're on the beans or not. Yeah. And, and you know, this is this sort of stuff is is not economic theory. It's everyday life because it's where people's after tax income effectively is going, and in a lot of instances, it's going somewhere they hadn't planned for or budgeted for. So you know, as I said, the the, the, the factors driving price are twofold. There's demand and supply, and the idea of higher um, interest rates is to slow demand down, but supply constraints also create inflation. And obviously, with COVID, uh, there's been some some major issues there in terms of supply chains globally, uh, and you're going to see pass-ons of of cost rises in some instances where if you want to get the components, say you're building a house, you got to pay up because it's a competitive landscape out there and, and it's a private sector. So my, the, the goods and services will go where the biggest premium is. Uh, and I think you know, if you look at house building in Australia as a very, very narrow example of this, not only have you got a roaring or had a roaring property market where you know cost of production has gone up, but now you're also competing with insurance companies which historically pay top dollar for all the repairs as a consequence of some of the flood and inclement weather we've had this year. So there's a further factor um, hitting on the supply side, uh, driving prices higher. Equally, we've talked about the Ukraine in terms of the supply of, um, of, of grains, particularly into the marketplace, so there's supply issues. If we take um, oil as an example, um, given the pathway we've been on toward greenification over the last decade or so, most major oil companies have kind of sat on their hands in terms of new exploratory and, and bringing on stream uh, certain projects because the question mark is, well, how oil dependent will we be in 10 or 15 years time, which might be when that project comes to fruition. So as a consequence, you've had an underinvestment there, which means that ability to, to supply more oil uh, to get prices back down um, it's not really that forthcoming uh, unless you're doing business with people you don't particularly want to do business with, a la Russia right now, or Venezuela, uh, or, or having to deal with OPEC in Saudi Arabia to, to plead uh, with them to, to, to reduce or increase production to get prices down. So there are a lot of factors that have really come along that influence supply, which drives price higher. On the other side of the equation, we've also had some adjustments to demand and, and the open up after COVID has caused a surge in demand for a lot of things, particularly if you think about travel. You know, you've had a, a global uh, you know, a global population effectively that's been in lockdown and unfortunately still is in some countries um, that hasn't been able to travel and now they can. But, um, you know, you, you look at an airfare, it's pr- pretty fully priced right now because the airline's passing on the cost. Do you think all of these factors will continue moving forward, AB? They, they will all vary because the, the, the ingredients that go in the economics cake 
are always changing. You know, if you take another one from a demand perspective, right now you've got twenty five percent of the uh, the Chinese population effectively locked up uh, with a zero COVID policy. They're they're locked down, and so what is the impact of that? Number one, you've got less economic activity happening in China. Uh, you've got factories being closed, which creates further constraints on supply, which pushes prices higher. But also on the demand side, on the consumer side, um, you, you've got a temporary halt of demand. You've got people that are getting food delivered to their apartment building because they're not allowed out of it, which, you know, you see this stuff on the on the TV is just really hard to get your head around. So, you know, demand for food in those situations is lower than what it would normally be. And demand for discretionary spend, things that people would ordinarily discretionally spend their money on has been uh, hampered too. When people come out of lockdown out of their apartment buildings, and you gotta remember 25% of the Chinese population is over 250 million people. It's a lot of people we're talking about here. Um, That demand surge kicks in, which is another push up on inflation because there's a world market competing for resources. And to put that into stock market terms, I actually read through Apple's most re- recent report and the guidance with that. How was that? Did you enjoy that? Did you read it online or did oh, you print it off? I printed it off. I yeah. highlighted all the points that I thought were important. One thing I saw that was super important was considering the lockdowns, they made um, forecasts for their cash flows next quarter and they mentioned that their sales could decline by over $2 billion, um, just in regards to manufacturing being mm-hmm. limited in China, and that's one example of one stock, yep. albeit a large one, just how large those impacts can be for 25% of the population being locked down. Oh, it's huge. I mean, the denominator or, or multiplier is massive when you when you start to talk about those numbers. And for many global companies now that have got really elongated supply chains, you know, you think about a car and the amount of technology in a car um, is it, it, just, just bonkers. And, and the supply constraint that comes alongside that pushes prices and you might go well you know as soon as as soon as that's eased off it'll be back to normal again prices never come down really do they i mean what comes down brokerage fees that's one that definitely does we know that firsthand because because it's the industry room but so few things you see costs actually net come down over time so as and when uh, inflation eases off for whatever reason whether it's supply or demand driven do you ever see those prices return back to where they were uh, not really Okay, so if you're a business now, AB, you've had a fair bit of pressure on your margin because the cost of goods and to produce those is a lot more. How do you pass those on to consumers mm. and can you keep doing that? Well, that that's a really interesting question. I don't know how accurate that is because if we look at the last reporting season, um, particularly out of the US, yeah, we just finished that last quarter, most of the companies that are reporting are talking about record margins on their products, uh, which might suggest that you're at peak cycle. From an economics point of view, you're right at the top of the top of the economic cycle where the company's got absolute pricing power, uh, and they've been able to maintain a really really healthy margin on their products. But how long that continues for when you've got that that cost uh, overhang to carry? And, and look, some companies are far better at being able to pass on um, price hikes than others. Again, you know, if you take take airlines, it's probably the easiest example. If if aviation fuel is more expensive. Um, then your ticket's going to be more expensive and there's almost a, a one-for-one correlation. In fact, there's an inverse correlation between aviation fuel and Alan Joyce's remuneration at Qantas. I always remember, the was it $25 million bonus he got for the... I think it was pretty big. The, uh, the, the big billion-dollar profit that Qantas pulled down, which was solely and exclusively on the back of weaker aviation fuel Inversely prices. correlated. Now they're up at record highs. You wonder whether it's going to tip that back in the tin, but uh, that's probably a conversation for another time. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, aviation is a good example of that. Transport is another one. But then if you think about, say, road haulage, yeah, the margin is pretty tight on that 2 or 3%. So there's a fuel levy. If fuel is more expensive, you pass it on to the customer. Um, if you're in the construction space, uh, I don't know from some of the building work that, that we do and we've done, uh, we're on a couple of distribution lists with suppliers and they're regularly sending out, this is our wholesale price increase and there's another one coming because it's just, the world we're in uh, where we're a price setter rather than a price taker and this is what we're going to be charging for structural timber or glass or whatever it may be and you just got to cop it sweet and that's that's it and and that's very difficult because there's no alternate what are you going to do uh, well yeah i'm not going to build my house out of structural timber and steel um let's go and dig some clay out of the ground and just tent to, use a tent <laughs> yeah well pretty wet in certain parts of the <laughs> world particularly down our way at the moment so you know it, it, there's a myriad of factors at play here but i don't think really there's any evidence that I've seen thus far that inflation is tapped out just because it's high doesn't mean it can't go higher. Uh, and I'd say there's more risk on of it moving higher than, okay, we've reached the peak part, peak part of the cycle and prices are going to start getting cheaper again. Okay. So, and thank you for that, AB, because that's mm. an, an awesome little rundown there. A question to you now, as we come to the end of this broadcast, what does it mean for the stock market? And if you're actively trading the market, what are you doing differently, mm. if anything? I think, yeah, the, the, the interesting thing that's probably come out of the last results season, as I say, is that company margins have been able to be maintained. If you do get a slowing economy, uh, for, for whatever reason, maybe demand starts to ease off a little bit uh, because interest rates start to bite, um, then companies cease to be the price maker and become the price taker and they've got to then come to the party and be more competitive. Um, and that definitely is a risk on and I think we're going to see that in the consumer discretionary space um, where there's been, a, let, let's take uh, Harvey Norman, love Harvey Norman as a business um, and great guy too, spent a bit of time in the races with Jerry Harvey. The um, the reality is that right now you've had very, very strong demand and constrained supply. Can get parts, there's a wait list for your TV. We've got this in the warehouse now, this is the price, as opposed to let's try and negotiate on something. And you, you, you simply are a price taker. When things slow down uh, and maybe people are making that TV last another three or six months and heck, they're out at work instead of being laid off or, or, or uh, yeah, at home because of COVID and they're not watching as much TV, you are going to make it last. So all of a sudden demand falls a little bit and, and that gives you that ability as the buyer to go in and say, look, I'll offer you this. I always do that. I can't pay full price for anything. My father, <laughs> my mum and dad brought me up particularly well in that regard. But that that's an example of that transition from being a price maker to a price taker. Uh, and I think there are going to be companies that find themselves in that position. Cars are another example. You can't buy a car right now unless you're prepared to wait. I think mine was about 18 months. I had to wait before mine came. And as a consequence, if you want it, you got to pay full price. Uh, and that's it. But that will change. And what's the catalyst for that change? The, the probably one or twofold. One is the overordering that's happened as a consequence of, of supply shock. So if you couldn't get the components that you wanted, when you could get an order in, you've probably ordered twice as many as what you really need. Oversupply, yeah. right? So so that you don't find yourself in this position where, where, where you're short of components to finish, finish a build or a manufacturing process. And so as things start to get back to equilibrium, if you're a company and you've overordered over on your on your components that you need, all of a sudden you've got enough components, you start slowing down your ordering process. That's going to take a lot of the heat out from the supply side price rising because all of a sudden demand is has dropped away. That's something that may well put the handbrake on inflation. And I appreciate, look, this is a pretty dry podcast. Um, 
it's economics, it's dull. Yes, I'm an economist, but that's why I spend my time public speaking because that's far more exciting than pouring over data and things like this. This is very dry, but it's also very, very relevant because it's going to help you move the pieces of the uh, around the chessboard to get the best opportunity on your money. Companies that are in consumer discretionary space will be affected by an economic slowdown. People stop spending money apparel um you know we talked about harvey norman those kinds of businesses that are in that 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 sort of um you don't need it but it's nice to have kind of environment where i think the 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 real action is likely to be is that switch to consumer staples more dependable groceries because you have to eat that sort of stuff not exciting utilities boring businesses but again you know you have to have the power on even if it's more expensive you have to have that on um telco where you've got the ability to uh, pass that cost rise if there is any actually onto your consumer so it's really, really important to understand what's going on in the backdrop. Manufacturing, if they're able to pass on um, cost pressure, um, there's good margin to be maintained, as we've seen from the previous results season. But if you start to see a waning consumer on the back of higher interest rates, companies won't be able to maintain that margin, that profit margin that they've had, because they will become price takers rather than price makers, you'll see that margin implosion, that will impact on the results and it'll impact on valuations and therefore the share price today. So more defensive for sure through this period of time. Pure inflation play, TBT, gold, they're two examples of places uh, to go to uh, if you wanted to inflation hedge out, um, but I don't think we're tapped out at this stage. Has inflation peaked? Our final answer is? No. No. Simple as that. N-O, full stop. A-B, thank you very much for your insight today. That's awesome. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, Mitch. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.